I've never really put clients on a water hole. I've done it during rifle hunts with some uh, disabled clients that I've had just for ease. But you know, that early hunt with the monsoons rolling in, it's just, uh, I think it's kind of a killer to the confidence mm -hmm. that people get out there and they like to sit on them water holes and then you have a monsoon that sweeps in just before, during the hunt. And it makes a lot of people, I think, second guess kind of their strategy. When a deer gets up, naturally, they get up hind in first. So a lot of times, you know, uh, when I get guys in there, we get them set up for the shot. You know, when that, that hind end comes forward, that head kind of lunges forward, the hind end comes up, I'll have them draw, kind of throw the pin toward the hind quarter, knowing that they're gonna, they're, they need to swing uh, once he comes up. You know, when you have, you know, that moon phase going like that, they're feeding longer into the end of the night. So you're not, your action's a little bit different during the, mm -hmm. during the day. I don't think, you know, I think they bed down a lot earlier during yeah. that that heavy moon phase, but I don't think they move as, as much yeah. really during a heavy moon phase. Not that I've noticed. Hey guys, welcome to Throwback Thursdays. I've gone through my library and started picking out some of the most popular podcasts over the last 12, 14 years or whatever, how long it's been, I've forgotten now uh, that I've been doing this and um, We've re-edited them and put them out there for you guys to uh, to check out. Uh, a lot of good information there. So forgive me, some of them might be a little bit poor quality, you know, depending on when it was recorded. But uh, Throwback Thursday is brought to you by HowlForWildlife.org. Howl for Wildlife was designed to give the hunter and angler a fast-acting tool to combat anti-hunting and fishing bills and initiatives. Howl has given us sportsmen and women not only the ability to act fast, but to amplify our voices and to be heard on issues concerning wildlife management. Howl supports science-based wildlife management and will continue to fight any initiative that goes against sound management. So become a member at howlforwildlife.org. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Today, we're going to talk about early season deer hunting in Arizona. We have a archery season that uh, starts typically the last couple weeks of August and, and goes into the first week of September, sometimes two weeks, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's a month long, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so, it's right there close to it. And um, it, it's an interesting hunt. And I feel like um, people kind of uh, overlook it a little bit. Because, or overlook thinking about it too much because everybody just thinks, well, it's super hot. It's the desert mostly. I'm just going to hunt water. But there's a lot of, a lot that goes into it. So, uh, we brought my brother on over here, uh, Eddie Willie from CISO from Southeast, uh, Arizona hunts. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about it a little bit. So what's going on, man? Not a man. Not a whole lot. How about yourself? Um, yeah, just stuffing 10 gallons of shit in a five gallon hat as usual. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. I hear yeah. you. So, um, yeah, we chatted a little bit before I hit the record button and, um, sounds like, uh, both of us got a busy schedule this year. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. A lot of clients. I look forward to it. Cool. 
Well, uh, I'll just get into it, man. You've been on a couple times. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure the, the listeners know who you are. Oh, you know what? Just real quick. Give us just a quick, quick one line of bio. <laughs> well, my name's Eddie Willie. I'm the owner operator of uh, Southeastern Arizona Outfitters. Uh, we're predominantly located down here in the southern units, uh, the southeastern corner of uh, Arizona. So, been going for about three years now. Uh, I'm an Arizona native. I just retired from the military, got back here the last. Been going at it strong, man. Yeah. Pretty nice and easy. Nice. Doing what I love, loving what I do. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I feel like a lot of guys kind of, you know, Arizona's deer are very tied to water. I mean, we're a desert. Even in the high country, we're still a desert. Uh, in an arid environment. But I feel what happens is everybody invests too much in sit in water and the rains don't cooperate. Like I can't tell you how many times I was like, oh man, I got bucks coming in on the regular. This is going to be a slam dunk. And then you get three, four monsoons the same week that you're hunting. So the deer don't necessarily hit the water the same regularity. They may still come. I mean, I've seen them drink out of a drinker in the rain, but then there's all these little puddles, all these little cenotes and whatever all over the place that they can just kind of grab a sip. They don't necessarily have to travel to where that water is at, and it kind of screws up your whole game. I know the guys that work for me, Jake and Shane, they love spot and stalk this time of year. I I personally don't love it because I don't like snakes, and I just I feel like you're traveling too much, and you're going to eventually run into snake. But yeah. um. I like to hear kind of what you're doing to locate deer this time of year and some of the, some of the things that you're doing to get your uh, clients on deer. Yeah, obviously. I mean, like you said, water's important. I think it can be a crutch though. I mean, a lot of people during that velvet hunt, you know, that, that they just put, they put a lot of stock into, into that, those locations that are holding water. And it's, it's a great place to start. I mean, you should definitely start there and kind of work out from it. Um, what I have found is kind of like you. I've never really put clients on a water hole. I've done it during rifle hunts with some uh, disabled uh, clients that I've had just for ease. But, you know, that early hunt with the monsoons rolling in, it's just uh, I think it's kind of a killer to the confidence Mm-hmm. That people get out there and they like to sit on them water holes, and then you have a monsoon that sweeps in just before during the hunt, and it, it, it makes a lot of people, I think, second guess kind of their strategy. I'm kind of like Jake and Sean. I really enjoy the spot and stock during that season. Um, typically, I see a lot. I, I like to hunt that portion. I like to guide that portion. We mm-hmm. see a lot of deer in country that I would say is definitely definitely country that's killable. You have your, you know, your bucks aren't up in the thick stuff as much as, you know, as they normally are. You find them out more kind of, I don't want to say meadows, but openings, you know, bigger, bigger forage, you know, to where maybe they were more in like kind of like a scrub oak environment. You might see them more in that live oak or juniper environment. Which yeah, gives you just, protecting their velvet, try not to get through yeah. real to thick, thick stuff. Yeah. And the numbers are great. You know, the numbers are great during that time of year. Um, they're bachelored up. They haven't been pressured for, you know, four months. Um, so it's, I think it's a great, 
opportunity. It's a great hunt to jump into with a reasonable success rate. As long as your, your spot and stock skills, you know, are down. Um, and then if you do want to sit water, there's just kind of a variety of things that right. you can do to be successful during that period. Do you find that deer, well, let's break it up into coos deer, mule deer. Um, okay. Do you feel, and, I, and then afterwards I'll tell you kind of what I've seen and I want, I'd like to see if it lines up with what you've seen. Let's start with coos deer. Do you feel that they prefer those little isolated water sources or big tanks, dirt tanks versus drinkers? What's been your experience? Yeah. Yeah, so who's deer a little bit tricky during that time of year for, in my opinion, especially if, you know, if you're after something really, really big, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of times if I'm hunting or if I got clients in, we're kind of hunting particular deer or attempting to. So uh, what I find is during that, if a, a monsoon pushes in and it, there's a spring that's somewhat seasonal and it goes active, Mm -hmm. uh, then, you know, that can, that can cause a problem, especially if you're relying on a certain water source. You know, what I see is mule deer use a range of water. Mm -hmm. Um, so they may hit three different dirt tanks within a two to the three mile, you know, core area that they're using during that time of year to where a coos deer really might be using just one tank. Right. Um, you might get lucky and catch where you see fringing on another water source. Um, but what I've noticed is, if there's something seasonal or a, a, a just a year-round spring, I see a lot of my bigger my bigger bucks kind of utilizing that remote location as opposed to getting down into a dirt tank. So I get them on camera, or I'll get up and I'll glass them up moving into a, a certain water source. But if I have another water source that goes active, that's more into that you know uh, I guess solitude location where they don't have to be exposed. Your coos deer, uh, a lot of times I've seen that they'll push to that water location. Yeah. Mule deer, I don't see that as much. The only thing with mule deer is you kind of just kind of keep have to keep tabs on kind of where they're at in their cycle as far as where they're moving right? and be able to anticipate, you know, the water source that they're going to use. Yeah, I, I feel like mule deer have like a three or four-day rotation. Almost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah elk too. Elk too. I notice elk have that yeah. same. I, I feel like it. It's just common, more common with that the more herd centric undulates. Yeah. You know, even javelina tend to have like a little mm -hmm. bit more of a where the whitetail, the coos deer, like you said, I feel like they're they have like a very isolated routine, which is good because if you can figure that out, they're patternable. Yeah. I think they're a little yeah, easier yeah. to pattern than, than a mule deer is that time of year uh, or actually at any time of year really. But um, yeah, I'm one of the things I noticed and you didn't, you didn't say it and I don't know if you, but I feel like coos deer specifically, the smaller the, like the tank is not necessarily, I mean, isolated. Yes. But smaller the tank is, I feel like they have, they feel more comfortable. Like the really yeah. big, big dirt tanks, like, I've yeah, caught them drinking on little, like the little drinkers and whatever more regularly than, and I haven't figured out what that is. And actually me and Dwayne had that same conversation many years ago that he noticed the same thing. Like they weren't coming to like a big dirt tank. I mean, they do, there's exceptions to every rule, but. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, 
Um, I think that, you know, I wouldn't say the common knowledge, but I think the norm is, mm. you know, they, that they would go, that I've seen them go to smaller stuff, kind of like you're saying, drinkers, smaller watering holes. The bigger stuff, it's like you said, I do get coups on them. What I find is I get kind of a vast, a more vast number of different coups hitting it. So I don't think it's something that is, uh, I would say, routine or regular. Okay. Um, I think it's just they may be pushed up on that side of the canyon or that, that portion of their, their core area. They just kind of hit that very, very occasional. Gotcha. So let's go back to spot and stalk a little bit. You were saying um – you started mentioning that you, you find more killable areas. What are you looking for? Dumb it down as much as you can or and give as much detail as possible. You're going out there to glass. What, do you, what are you doing? What do you, where are you looking? How are you looking for them? Um, I mean, you take all the, the common knowledge stuff, you know, the sunny side, you know, shaded sides and north slopes and east, all that stuff. Outside of that, what I look at is for the most part, it's terrain that I see them in that's mm-hmm. normally, you know, more the thick stuff that they kind of, for example, mule deer. You know, a lot of the stuff I like to hunt them in is kind of like that sandy limestone style stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I get in a country like that, I get really, really excited because I normally find really, really good bucks in it. Looking at what's dropping that time of year, what, you know, I, I notice in the, in the velvet season, I see a lot more grazing going on by my mule deer instead of browsing as it mm-hmm. gets into the down hunt seasons. But I look at, you know, normally I'll find them, you know, during that gun gun season, they're pushed off into that kind of that thicker cover. Granted, they're, you know, they have a three to five mile range for the most part that I see during the regular, you know, the gun season. During that velvet season, they're just pushed, they're off in that fringe that's not as, as thick. They're still giving right. you the feed. It's still got adequate cover in there. You know, to kind of narrow it down specific is kind of hard. I mean, it's when you look at it's just a different. It's the it's the same style country that they like. Mm-hmm. It's just not as thick. Got so, it. you know, for example, I mean, I get down here in the desert down here where I live at, uh, as opposed to say like Unit One or Twenty Seven or something. During that velvet time, I'll find a lot of my bucks that are kind of up on the hillsides, you know, in the, the foothills and stuff to where I normally see them bucks during the gun hunts. They're down, no joke, in the flat, flat. Okay. You know, you won't see them up on a hillside. The only time I see them on hillsides is in the velvet season and in the rut because I got does running up on the hills. Mm. You know, but my bucks, you know, for the most part during the regular the gun season dates are all down in the flats. And I'm using those, you know, uh, lookout points to get them blast. But that velvet season, they kind of run the fringe of that. You know, they're, they're kind of they're grazing off of those hillsides. They're still right there close to that thick stuff, that thick desert floor. You know, if they need the cover, you know, or, you know, for safety. But, you know, they just, it's not that they move or they, they're, they're off in some total strange place. They're right there. It's just you got to look at, you know, you just kind of got to look at that fringe point. There's little core, core areas in there that they like to kind of hold in. Right. And it really doesn't change from one year. I mean, if you spot, you get a buck. Normally, you're not going to ever see just one one buck, especially meal there mm. uh, during the velvet. So, you know, when you see them, they're going to usually be bachelored up, and it's pretty patternable. It's pretty repeatable. You know, so right. it's something you can do year after year. Yeah, they, as long as the habitat doesn't change drastically, 
Uh, yeah, you get a burn landscape. Yeah, yeah, or just yeah. a severe, severe drought or whatever. I mean, we're drought. fucking oh, horrible right. was in drought, but no, yeah, I, I, I find that to be true too. No, I have seen where like ranchers pull in cattle. You know, they come mm-hmm. into a new lease, or you know, yeah. he just gets a bunch of, and the cattle get in there and eat it down hard. I've seen them shift because of that. Yeah, you know, not having the forage, or maybe it's just the pressure of cattle. I've seen them do it on tanks as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, they don't yeah. like going to tanks when there's cows on it. Yeah, and, really and then sometimes they, I, I've seen them abandon them altogether, even when they're not. And I feel it's because cows are always taking a shit in the damn inside the damn <laughs> cattle tank, and it, like it taints the water. Yeah. You know, they're looking for something that's a little bit less poopy. Yeah, no, I've noticed that a bunch. I've actually had that happen to me a lot. Back in the day, I used to run a lot of cameras in 6A, and I'd always have the line on like a really good buck. And then come season, if I didn't hunt it, like a lot of it was hunting pressure. But I, I noticed that every year the rancher would move the cattle like a day or two after the season would start and just yeah. fuck everything up. Just, oh, my God. Oh, and if I was running like licks or something like that, like mineral licks or sand, oh, forget about it. The cows would come in and just destroy that. Yeah. Yeah. But I I haven't done that in so long. I haven't, I haven't personally chased deer in Arizona in the early season in, I want to say six or seven years. I've taken, I've taken some clients here and there during the early season. But early season, I'm usually gone. I'm I'm not usually here. I'm like the last three years I've been in Utah, or last two years I've been in Utah. This will be my third year. And prior to that, I was going to Wyoming. I went to Wyoming for like five years straight. So I wasn't spending a lot of time here. I always I always really enjoy hunting the rut here more than anything. So I kind of always kept it that one. I don't. I just don't like dealing with the heat. And like, like I said earlier to you before, we I just don't like damn snakes. But I think next year it's on it's on my like bucket list because I have never killed a coos deer in velvet, and I really, really, really would like one. I think next year I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna put heat, some effort into that. Season, that early season heat it's kind of a blessing, you know. At the same time as it is just excruciating. I mean, mm. when you when you get them them deer glassed up, I mean, mule deer usually move a bed. Uh, Whitetail don't do it as frequent, but you know when they when they lock down and they they bed up, I mean, they're there for a minute. You know? Yeah. So you have ample time to where you know you're hunting them rut hunts archery stuff style. Yeah. And it's just nonstop. I mean, you cover fifteen twenty miles in a day. Oh yeah. You know, quick. You know, on a stock. Right. You know, so. I, I like that. I like the early season hunt. I like it. I actually like it better than I do the 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 rut hunt. A lot of the guys. Yeah. yeah, the rut hunt's nice because you know you'll find that you'll find a buck that you haven't had eyes on before. Mm-hmm. It's you know moved into an area, especially when you're talking mule deer. But uh, I like that early season hunt, man. I see a ton of big deer during that. Mm. Yeah, you guys killed a doozy last year, two something, no. Yeah. Oh, well, we shot a 195. We got a 195. Oh, 195. Okay. I thought it, I thought it was over two. Oh, uh, no, he's just, not big. He's not big sure. then. 195 is not yeah. big. <laughs> yeah, he was he was just a forking horn, you know, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean 195 inch forky horn. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. 
<laughs> Could you so, imagine what that would look like? Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, but I mean, it's like, you know, when you take, I mean, that early hunt, I mean, we watch that, that buck for, I think, four days. Yeah. You know, and there's just not a lot of hunts when you really narrow it down where you're watching a deer for four days straight and actively right. chasing him. Right, right. You know, and I think that's just, I think that really curtails to that early season mm. pattern, you know. Um, I don't think you'll do that much during the rut. I mean, right. he's he, he might be in there for a couple of days and, you know, service a, a few does, and then he's on to bigger and better yeah. things, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I, um, you started to allude to this, so it made me think of a question that I had for you. When you're stalking that time of year, let's let's start with a coos deer, and then because the the behavior might be different on a muley. From when you spot him up, run me through that. Tell me, tell me, like uh, you know, paint a picture for me. Hey, he's so we'll he's normally, up feed he's up feeding first thing in the morning. Okay. First crack so of we'll dawn. We'll we'll glass him up right, and usually, very rarely is it ever a singular event. Normally, they'll have three or four different bucks with them. Mm. We'll get them glassed up. We'll watch them feed, knowing that you know, uh, you know what your thermals are doing, rising as it's getting hotter. You know, so you watch, you bed those bucks. A lot of times, your bigger deer is going to take the best bedding. A lot of times, that deer is bedding. He's kind of got the other deer, you know, kind of pulling the 360 security. Yeah, right. a little, you know, military knowledge to him, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> You know, and then you you start your stock. So with mule deer, um, and if I can do it on all deer, I prefer it. But I like to come hide and come down on on my deer. It doesn't always. I, I find myself not doing that as much with uh, coos deer, but mule deer it, is kind of a must. I, it's just something about getting in between their ears and behind them just mm-hmm. seems to be extremely favorable, especially if you're you're working the wind. And normally a smart buck, you know, he's he's bedding where He's looking in, you know, kind of into the wind. And uh, so it gives you that availability, kind of get up high and come down on them. You know, and it's just the hard thing is just being patient and knowing that once that buck beds down, you have, you know, depending kind of where you're at in the velvet hunt and, and kind of what the weather pattern is looking at, you know, you have up until probably about, let's just say he beds down about 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. You have till about 10, between 10 and 11 o'clock before that that buck's going to probably be up and moving to a second bed based off of what the sun's doing. Okay. So I will, I will do those stocks early in the morning. They're not my favorite stocks to do. Okay. I'm extremely slow, especially when you talk to my, you know, if you talk to Josh, Corey or Brian, you know, them guys are go getters, you know, they'll, they'll like to run a gun. Me, I'll let a buck lay until he gets up and moves to a second bed. Cause I know for the most part, that's going to be his final bed. Okay. And then I'll make a play. You know, but it's just knowing as you make that coming in, it's just being slow, methodical, you know, watching the thermal and getting down in and on them. It's being able to, you really got to be reading, you know, how fast that temperature is rising, kind of reading the, you know, the dynamics of the animal. One of the big things I do, especially on guiding is when, you know, when I'm getting clients in on a deer and it comes time for shot opportunity is making them understand that a deer, when a deer gets up naturally, they get up hind in first. So a lot of times, you know, uh, when I get guys in there, we get them set up for the shot. You know, when that, that hind end comes forward, that head kind of lunges forward, the hind end comes up, I'll have them draw, kind of throw the pin toward the hind quarter, knowing that they're going to, they need to swing 
uh, once he comes up. That's a that's a big thing. Uh, it's been a, a pretty crucial little, uh, you know, little. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Info. You know, it's it's helped us be successful, but it's just, you know, getting in there and knowing, I think that 10, 11 o'clock is extremely important, um, especially when you're talking yield, because they're going to move beds. It's not very often I've seen them yield their lay. I guess you got to watch. I think if you watch the shade, you'll notice they're in the shade. And as the day progresses, that shade is shifting as soon as that sun starts hitting them. That's you know you don't have very much time before yeah. that he's going to get up and move. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm I'm with you, I'm with you, and I'm not with you at the same time. I feel like that second bed that they move to, they always lay down and almost always lay down in a spot where you really can't see them, and your spotter is kind of like sending you in there if you're using a spotter. That is kind of sending in your in there more blind. I mean, you know where he's at, but you don't see him, so you can't read the body language to give that or have you not had that experience like I don't no, know. No, I you're, like- you're, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and that's that's really getting down into the weeds of it. It's good you're seeing that kind of stuff cuz I don't think a lot of people really see it. But yeah, you're right. When they get into that second bed, um what I've noticed is they're they're usually a lot more tight to cover. Right. They're usually on the back side of uh whatever, yeah. you know, tree, mesquite, you know, bush, whatever. So, yeah, you are kind of going in blind. You also, when you're doing that second one, I like it because I know I got I got a long period to yeah, do Yeah, they're going to be there till the evening, yeah. That comes with a lot of consequence. Yeah. Because that's normally the time of day that your winds start getting really, really tricky. Mm-hmm. Your wind gusts will start building through that period. Your thermals kind of strengthening and weakening uh, during that time frame, you know, and a lot of times you're going to kind of play havoc into your shot as you get within distance because of the sun seems to kind of start to come into play during that period. Yeah. It, it beats on you too. So it, it makes you yeah. antsy. It makes you real antsy. Like, like you want to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the and other thing. To be patient. Yeah. I think if you could be patient, if you're definitely, you know, you're resolved enough, which I probably am not, you could definitely use all that to your advantage. And I think if you are using a spotter, one of the things that really things that's shitty about that is they really start burning their eyeballs out by that time Mm -hmm. too, you know? No, we use phone. I I use a phone scope for all that stuff. Um, I've got away from just kind of barreling into in the glass. Um, Got it. So just keep it up on the phone screen a little yeah, bit easier to I watch. Just, yeah. yeah. Just keep it up and you can kind of record. I mean, obviously you can record and stuff like that, but uh, yeah, it's just, you're not, you're not killing your eyes. Cool. What are some of the other things that a guy should be looking at, you know, going into this season, just coming up hot here, actually. Well, I mean, a, matter of fact, by the time this airs, it'll probably be a week away. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, you know, just you got to be I think, you know, clothing is extremely important. The way you kid out during that time of year mm-hmm. is extremely important, you know, because you, you need to be prepared, obviously, for the blazing heat and you need to be prepared for rain. Snake leggings is, is a huge thing during that time of year. Like you're saying, you're running into, you know, you got rattlesnakes and stuff like that kind of moving around, moving around. Yeah. Have you... um? Have you tried those turtle skins? I have not. I have not. I have an old pair. You know, my dad 
worked for the Department of Corrections and he ran dogs. Mm. He's head of a dog program for a long time. So I used some, probably some 1980s old leather uh, leggings. That's okay. what I use. Some hand-me-downs from Pops. Yeah, I got a, I got a couple oh, yeah. different ones. I tried over the years. I have the ones that are like a kind of like a hard shell, almost look like uh, mm-hmm. like battle armor, and then yeah. but those those turtle skin, they're good and they're bad because they're freaking noisy as shit, and that that's the thing that always gets me about that. It's like they're gonna make you hotter, yeah. And mind you, it's yes. only your shin, but you you know it's already you're miserable. Yeah. yeah, it's already miserable. You know, let's not, let's add some more misery to it, but they're soft. You know, they're pliable. They, they move with you. They're not so rigid. They breathe a little bit better, so they're not quite as bad as the hard ones. But they're noisy, and they don't have a really good uh, lower component that keeps it down on the boots. So if they start yeah. riding up, it's real easy for, like, like debris to get in there, too. You know, you start getting those little seeds and shit from the grass in your socks, and it just ruins your life. Yeah. But... Yeah. yeah me I mean, scent control, scent control is another thing that time of year. I mean, I don't, I'm not one to run around with a bunch of, you know, scent away and, you know, mm-hmm. different products like that. Um, but during that time of year, I'm definitely, you know, I'm definitely using some type of scent control, sneak tech booties or yeah, oh, huge yeah. during Those that time tremendous. of year. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, is, I mean, this is kind of common knowledge for a lot of the, the yeah, Western style guys that get out that get out and do it, but a lot of these clients that I get from back east, you know, this is it's Mars to them. Yeah, you know, so you know, stuff like that definitely increases your 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 odds for success. Yeah, I feel like um, if you can make yourself as comfortable as possible yeah. too. It's like, yeah, you know, you have that period. You know, as you start getting later into it. So the only thing that I my biggest dislike with the season. Is really is coos deer haven't put you know uh, I don't hunt a lot of coos deer during the velvet we do get after them with you know um, but we don't do it a lot just simply as a lot of the coos aren't far enough along in their horns yeah, right so you know we won't get we won't get after them uh, very much um, we do but it's just not a, a priority type of thing you know the other thing is you know is just kind of gauging these animals. You know, the mule deer, that that our window is their window of kind of finishing out. Some of them are still growing, but some are kind of finishing out. And mm-hmm. some of them, you know, are stripping velvet. So it's, I mean, it's an interesting hunt because, I mean, you, you literally get after a big buck and, I mean, he strips velvet and you got a week. Yeah. You know, to 10 days before he's off doing his own thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, so <laughs> I love the hunt, but it, it comes with, comes with a little tough. bit of sacrifice. It's it tough. is. Yeah. It's real tough. So from your experience, how do you see the deer reacting to a full moon when it hits that, that time of year? I think, I mean, obviously, you know, when you have, you know, that moon phase going like that, they're feeding longer into the end of the night. So you're not, your actions a little bit different during the, Mm -hmm. during the day. I don't think, you know, I think they bed down a lot earlier during that that heavy moon phase, but I don't think they move as, as much yeah. really during a heavy moon phase. Not that I've noticed. Um, I mean, you can, I mean, you almost basically, 
you basically drop them that afternoon and come back in and find them within probably a couple hundred yards, it seems like, during that time period to where, you know, when you're really not working with the moon or, you know, the moon's not running big phases, mm-hmm. you know, you they might be a, they might jump you a canyon, yeah. you know, or, or two. So I, kind of, I like the moon. A lot of people don't. I like that moon, though, because it just, it, it put, I think it puts them down longer during the day. Puts okay. them down faster. You know, and they feed more during that, that nighttime portion. Okay. That's, I never thought of it that way. I guess I'm not as, I'm not as good as picking up bedded bucks as you are. I got to find them on their feet first. I, um, do you think that they react differently that time of year to, to wind than, than they would, let's say, in the rut? Um, I don't think so. I mean, you know, deer period are just sensitive to wind. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you just can't get in their nose. Right. Uh, obviously, wind doesn't seem to be a huge factor to a big mule deer buck or a big whitetail buck when you're in his bedroom and trying to get a shot opportunity. If the does are the does are willing to sit there, he's, he's going to stay. I guess where I was going with that question was, do you think that it because they're trying to bed in the shade, they're trying to bed out of the sun on a really windy day in the wintertime, whether the sun's in their face or not, they're going to look for the leeward side of the, you know, they're going to look for the, the side that's out of the wind. Do you find that that's the same in the summertime? What's, what's affecting them more, the sun or the wind, you know? I think the, I think the, the sun's affecting them more during the summertime. I don't think wind is, wind is a component yeah. All right. I don't think it's as big a, a factor. Okay. You know, the sun by far is. I mean, they're trying to get out of that heat. Yeah. You know, it's just like if you get in there and, and um, you get a good little, you know, cloud up of, you know, monsoon cloud pushing in, you know, your deer seem that they won't bed as long and they'll, they'll get up and feed yeah. a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I, I like rainy days. Yeah, and I mean, I if you get a slow days. drizzle, it just—it's like you find deer that you didn't even remotely even know that were was up in some of them canyons because they're—they're yeah. just up and moving so much. Cool. You know. Well, uh, I know I didn't prep you for this, but uh, do you have any uh, good early season stories you want to share with us? I mean, just—you know—I would just say, uh, well, Josh, you know, he took that one ninety-five, and I guess he'd probably be the the better person to tell you. But I mean. I was going to tell you a story. It'd be that story. I mean, yeah, we were. Go ahead. Let's hear we it. On that, I haven't actually. Were, I haven't heard that story. You, you yeah, I mean, we were it. on that buck. We were on that buck. At, I'm going to say three to four days. I know at least three for sure. You know, uh, and actively having, you know, actively had clients pursuing it. We had clients within anywhere from 37 to it was like 45, 47 yards each day. Basically, they had a shop opportunity. So. I mean, I think the moral of that is just kind of, you know, take take it slow. It's not a sprint. That period, you know, that velvet hunt is it's a it's more marathon pace. Just go slow. Pay attention to your deer. I would say, you know, during that hunt, if you were going to ever wait for the most perfect opportunity, you know, to take a shot at an animal, it's during that that hunt. I mean, cause you're going to get multiple opportunities. You're going to see a lot of, I think, you know, people are going to see a lot of deer, you know, like with them. I mean, they were, they were just all over that deer and that deer. I mean, he was literally bouncing within, 
I would say within a mile, less than a mile. Mm. Just, you know, we watch that deer move around for four days. So, I mean, even doing stocks, being patient about it, we didn't booger that deer off. And big mule deer bucks are really temperamental about getting boogered and pushing off into mm-hmm. some foreign country, you know, when they get, when they feel pressure. Um, I think the reason it was successful is just, you know, we had him pattern. Josh knew that that deer was using, Josh shot him off of a trail that he had sent the clients up, I think two days before. Okay. You know, so he knew what trails he was using. He knew what bucks. He, matter of fact, the one time that that buck really kind of felt pressure, we got clients in a little too close. They were at like 30, 35 yards, 37 yards, something like that. That next day, that buck went pretty, he, he went pretty solo. He was, there was other bucks around, but he had pushed off of them a little bit. Got it. And I think that was due to kind of a little bit of the pressure that he felt that that day before. But you never, you um, never full on bumped him. They never. But they we never, never full got, on bumped him. No, never got, we, we never, never got never busted. Him. No, I mean when we got busted, it was never just an outright bust. He might have caught a little whiff of a scent, or you know, it might have been a little bit of noise when when he when he did bust us. But it was never a right. full on bust. Like, oh, okay. okay, I'm actively being chased. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And Josh just put all that together. He knew kind of the, the pattern that that buck was moving on, and he put himself today, shot him. You know, he put himself in position and ended up shooting him at 33 yards right off the off of a trail that he was previously using to go to a betting spot. Now, I will say with big mule deer bucks, they kind of have in their locations, and I think that's both kind of the, the velvet and their normal, uh, their normal uh, cycle, they have some – they're really specific about where they like to bet. It's just not a ramp, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, and Josh kind of, you know, he broke that down. He had it broke down pretty good. We, we even, I mean, we were watching video because we recorded a whole bunch of it. You know, we sit there in the, the camper and just kind of talked about what his pattern was like. Mm. Josh, he, he broke it down really, really good. Nice. Good enough to get in there 33 yards and slap him Hell with yeah. a stick and string. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's good. good enough for sure. Well, cool, man. I think that gave us, gave a lot of people things to think about and how to approach their season a little bit. I want to thank you for coming on. Absolutely, bro. Appreciate always, you. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you. Maybe we'll team up on another couple of clients this year. We'll see. Yeah, that'll work. Um, where can our uh, listeners find out about you? Uh, you can catch me on Facebook at Southeastern Arizona Outfitters LLC. Uh, Look me up on Instagram at Cezo, S-E-A-Z-O, Hunts. Uh, my, my, my contact information is uh, 520-255-4886. Or you can shoot me an email at CezoHunts at gmail.com. He's married, ladies. Don't use that phone number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're married. looking for a hunt. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. All right, cool, man. Well, it's awesome having you on. Good catching up with you. Absolutely, brother. Um Always a privilege and always enjoy it, man. Likewise. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show.